today on Ag News Daily. Kind of one-stop shop where any type of specialty crop grower or producer could really receive um, excellent education and networking opportunities. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by my co-host Mike Pearson, and I am hiccup-free today, Mike. You're what free? Hiccup free. Hiccup free. Well, we're very proud of you, Delaney. No, You're able to hiccup. muscle through it and get yeah. over it. Yeah, hiccup, hiccup, not pickup. Hiccup. Right. You've always been pickup free. You've never had a pickup, as far as I'm aware. Well, when I was little, but uh, yes. You had a pickup when you were little? Well, like in high school, I did. Oh, gotcha. Okay. All right. Was so, like like five years ago? No, like ten years ago. But thank you. You're just a pop still, Delaney. Yes. Well, I tell you what, listeners, we are chatting a bit more at the open because it is a very slow news day in the world of agriculture today, isn't it, Delaney? It sure is. It's slow because people are gearing up for the holidays. We are seeing Congress really focus a lot of attention on the impeachment stuff. And as you mentioned yesterday, we're not going to see NAFTA go through. And Congress heads into recess next week, so it's really just slow all around. But I wouldn't be surprised, Mike, if we see some sort of pre-Christmas or post-Christmas news dump. It seems like the administration likes to dump out news around that time, so maybe there'll be something breaking here. You never know. Well, that's true. And uh, one thing that continues to be in the headlines is, of course, the ongoing trade war with China. On Sunday night, the next round of tariffs are set to go into place, a 15% tariff on $168 billion worth of imports coming from China. And there was talk early this week that uh, maybe those tariffs were going to get delayed. Um, there was optimism. The Chinese stepped in, bought a pile of soybeans. They were hoping you know, by waiving tariffs on, on beans and pork, maybe that would be enough of an olive branch that the administration, the Trump administration, would be willing to delay or rescind those tariffs. Well, we're in Wednesday, we're on Wednesday, I should say, and none of those announcements have been made. Um, as of right now, it still appears to be a stalemate. As of right now, it appears those tariffs will be going into place on Sunday night. That is causing some concern in the markets. It has brought several you know, current and former bureaucrats out of the woodwork to talk about how this is just making it harder to get a deal done, blah, blah, blah. We definitely saw that sentiment um, affect uh, crop prices today, or grain prices in particular, grain and pork um, to that extent. And it was, uh, it's one of those things that we're going to continue to get headlines from for the foreseeable future as this trade war grinds on, Delaney. Well, another thing that we're going to see headlines on here for the foreseeable future, Mike, is what's going on related to the ag labor bill. As I mentioned yesterday on the podcast, that is going on being taken up in the House today. And I said yesterday, you know, we weren't really sure what was going to happen, if it was going to pass or not. But apparently GOP leaders, as well as the Trump administration, has basically, it sounds like, put some pressure on fellow GOPs to not pass this H-2A visa program, they said that basically it wouldn't fix all of the issues and it's unfair to fix agricultural labor issues first without dress addressing other sectors. So they're saying if you can't put together a whole package, it's hard to sometimes even move forward on that piece. And it sounds like Republicans are concerned that it would gra grant a massive amnesty 
because of the way that the bill and provisions are written and legalize existing farm workers. So they're concerned there about some of the legal pathway provisions. And it sounds like they tried to allow the full house to have a debate on amendments and apparently whatever procedures they have to do to get that open up for discussion did not pass. So it sounds like it's likely going to be a hard path ahead for any sort of an ag labor bill. Ah, uh, because, yeah, they, they just they don't want to make it go alone, is what it sounds like. Correct. The other segments of the economy say, hey, well, we want ours, too, right. if we're going to be, you know, writing legislation. Yep. And they just said, you know, we don't want to open that can of worms right now because a lot of it would have to deal with labor reform. And in this environment, they said, you can't really get anything done anyways. And we're focusing so much time on impeachment, it's not a good time to bring this up. So. Right. Yeah, well, and they are spending a lot of time on impeachment. That they are. Well, I've got some news for our rancher friends out in Colorado. Uh, there was a ballot initiative that looks like it will be on the ballot in 2020. Uh, the Rocky Mountain Wolf Action Fund has collected more than 200,000 signatures, and they only need 124 and change thousand to get on the ballot. So it sounds like this ballot is going to be there, and what they want to do is reintroduce gray wolves into Colorado in the western part of the state by the end of 2023. Uh, the gray wolf has basically been eradicated from Colorado uh, for about 100 years, and um, this group wants to bring them back. Of course, a lot of uh, ranchers are protesting this move because wolves will kill calves. Absolutely. They will kill foals, baby horses. Wolves are predators. They're apex predators. Uh, and this has raised quite a bit of concern in Colorado. I, I read this story on thehill.com, and I was a little frustrated. I didn't talk to any ranchers or, or you know, livestock producers in the state of Colorado. They talked to the head of this action fund quite a bit, and uh, you know, they're enthusiastic. All these people that live in town are excited to have wolves come back because they're not going to have to deal with it. Okay. Yeah, you ever seen a wolf, Delaney? Um, you know, I really don't think I have. I was, I was thinking that's the same thing. I, I don't know that I ever have it. Certainly not in the wild. No. Maybe in a zoo, I guess, would be the I, only place that perhaps I've seen one. But, yeah, definitely not out in the wild. Okay, yeah, me either. So, and I, I, I kind of hope I never have to. Me too. I don't know what I'd, I don't, I'd do. I don't want to be attacked by a wolf. No, I don't either. I do not either. Well, we have some other news going on this week, Mike. Lots of deadlines coming up as we're nearing the end of the year here. Another deadline before those tariffs go into place. We also have another deadline for M M DMC, not MDC, DMC, our dairy margin coverage program. The original deadline was intended to be Friday, December 13th, but USDA officials have extended that deadline to December 20th, and we're going to talk about the dairy margin coverage program a little bit later, either this week or next week on the podcast. But I was chatting with our good friend of the podcast, Gary Rasmussen, about this program and just saying, you know, getting some insight from an actual dairy producer. And he sent me some of the instructions that they got for a reminder to lock in those coverage levels. And they have to pay a $100 administration fee, which seems like perhaps... Uh, that will deter some people, and it just sounds like the way it's being done doesn't make sense, doesn't seem like it's really 
adding any value to producers. And that's what it comes down to, especially in a tight margin environment like dairy has been in for the past number of years. It's got to, you don't want to say provide a return, but provide a, a valued risk management tool. Right. And I'm, I, I'm just not sure that, that DMC is, is quite set up to yeah. do it, given the parameters in place this year. Yeah, so the scenario that Gary shared with me was, let's say that currently the margin is 1088. And so if your margin falls below 950, your coverage would kick in, but the first $663 goes to covering that premium. So if you don't, I guess if you don't make more money than that, then your premium doesn't really kick you back any money, if that makes sense. Your premium may not get triggered. Right. And, you know, despite, you know, some of the, uh, the faults in the program that we've heard from some of our, our listeners and, and dairy producers, at the end of the day, if you're paying an insurance premium, you, know, you kind of don't want to get that back, right? That means right. your price has moved against you. Um, you know, I, I never want to collect my life insurance premium, right? Well, you wouldn't collect it. Because that means I'm it. dead. Well, exactly. Exactly right. So, you know, it, it's at that point, then it just becomes a fixed cost or a sunk cost. And, yeah. uh producers have to make the decision can we afford this fixed cost to manage that risk and uh you know there's a lot of different risk management tools out there maybe dmc isn't the right one for you but it it is affordable so it's it's definitely worth considering folks don't write it off just because you've heard negative things check it out see if it'll work for your for your uh, operation Right. And like I said, we're going to get a little more insight. We've had uh, Mark Stevenson on the podcast before, but it's been quite some time. So he's going to share with us the latest about that. So if you are a dairy producer, do stay tuned for that here over the next couple of days. All right. I love that. Love having him on. Um, had a piece of news coming out of the uh, Interior Department. I want to say EPA. It's not the Interior Department. Um, the Inspector General of the Interior Department ran an investigation on a man by the name of David Bernhardt. Uh, Bernhardt was the prior Interior Secretary, and he used his position as Secretary of the Interior to determine a new process to examine how pesticides create risks. And the New York Times reported, this would have been uh, much earlier this year, New York Times reported, quote, that uh, Bernhardt had set in motion a new process to apply a much narrower standard to determine the risks from pesticides after analysis found they, quote, jeopardize the continued existence of more than 1,200 endangered species. So this was the, uh, the whole thing that happened. Everybody thought he was in the pocket for a big pesticide or something. Well, the uh, inspector general went back through, looked at all of the data and said, look, He didn't exceed or abuse his authority. In fact, what he did um, possibly delayed the findings in this report, but it didn't change him. And, uh, you know, they're still doing everything, you know, by the book. So he was cleared. He was cleared. Pesticides are, you know, good or bad, depending on uh, whether or not you're the pest being treated. Oh, well, actually, speaking of the pest being treated... This also, uh, this might be some fake news. I'm not really sure what to make of it. But the title is called Man Whose Farts Can Kill Mosquitoes Six Meters Away Hired to Create New Repellent. Interesting. Yes. I'm intrigued. Okay. So, Joe, I'm not going to pronounce Joe's last name, is 
Ugandan and claims that he his farts can kill mosquitoes up to six meters away and that because of that he's been hired by a manufacturing company to help develop a new repellent. Um, so boy, yeah, he says he smells like a normal man. He bathes daily and his farts are just like everyone else's. They're only dangerous to small insects and especially mosquitoes. It's really unclear why he thinks his farts kill mosquitoes. Um, but he's making claims now that he is being hired by a manufacturing company, which remains a mystery. And he claims that they're paying them, paying him millions of dollars to help create a new repellent. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, you know, if you got the right sauce, is... get paid. I'm not sure if this is fake news. Gary also sent me this. He sends me articles periodically, and so do some of our other listeners. But uh, he sent me this this one this morning, and I thought this might be some fake news. Wow. I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, who knows what he's got? Uh, you know, creeping around in his, uh, his lower intestines. <laughs> who knows? All right. Well. We'll keep an eye on that story. Yeah. I'm going to mm -hmm. ask you as, as, as fart researcher. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you stay on top of this story. Yeah, I'll get right on that. You stick to it like stink on poop. Okay. Nice. Saved. I kept it PG. We're not going to get an explicit rating That's for this. That's true. One. We're not. Good job. Well, I've got a feeling some growers might have issued some expletives after today's market closing, especially in the soybeans. Delaney, do you have any other news stories, or should we see where these things wrapped up for the I day? don't, Mike. Let's take a look. All right. Well, folks, as I mentioned, it was down across the board in the grain complex today. That trade uncertainty was just enough to push everything back down to support, in some cases through support. So we'll have to see where we open up later tonight. In the corn market, the December contract dropped five and a half cents to close at three fifty-seven and three quarters. March down six at three seventy-one even. In soybeans, the January contract dropped nine and a quarter cents, closed the day at eight ninety-two even. The March down nine even to finish at nine. 906 and a half. Wheat was not spared. The December contract dropped four cents, closed at 530 and three quarters. The March down four and a half to finish the day at 519 and a quarter. Looking over at the world of, world of livestock, we did find strength in the cattle complex today and hogs closed mixed. In cattle, the February live cattle contract was up 75 cents at 125.3250. The April up 82.50, finished at 125.87 half. In feeder cattle, the January contract was up a dollar twelve fifty, closed at one forty two seventy seven fifty. The March up a dollar fifteen, closed one forty three sixty seven half. In lean hogs, that February contract dropped twenty five cents to close at sixty seven seventy two half. The April up a nickel, finished at twenty four twenty five. And in dairy, looking at that class three milk contract, December was down six cents at nineteen thirty seven. Sell-off continues in the January, however, down twenty two cents on the day to close up. At 1818, it's closed down rather at 1818. Without further ado, we've got a fantastic discussion about a conference that's coming to Iowa very shortly. Folks, you want to stay tuned if you're looking to diversify or if you are a diversified ag operation. Delaney, let's kick it off. Well, for those of you that are out there looking at maybe a way to diversify your operations or you have a diversified operation growing fruits and vegetables or maybe even wine, there is a Iowa's Specialty Producer Conference coming right up here in January. And to share about that upcoming conference, 
We've got Nicole Eilers from the Iowa Wine Growers Association, who is also a big part of this conference. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. Nicole, before we talk about the conference itself, tell us about the Iowa Wine Growers Association. And, you know, we don't often think about Iowa as being a big wine growing or grape growing state, but it really is. Absolutely. So the Iowa Wine Growers Association is uh, made up of vineyards, wineries, and other um, industry partners in the state. Um, you know, we have around 100 wineries across the state of Iowa producing locally um, grown grapes and making wine from those grapes. So um, if you haven't had a chance to visit your nearest winery, we'd highly encourage it because it's, it's a really great experience. Absolutely. That it is. Nicole, when you look at diversification opportunities on the farm, a lot of folks are out there growing traditional row crops like corn and soybeans, but how do, you know, specialty fruits and vegetables like grapes fit into that agricultural footprint? For sure. Um, you know, we have almost 300 vineyards across the state. Um, there's more than 1,200 acres, which doesn't seem like a whole lot, but it's a lot of hands-on manual labor that goes into growing these grapes. Um, you know, the interesting thing about wine is that you really can't have a, a, a good wine without having local produce. You, I mean, you know, it just, it's a local aspect of it, um, you know, but yeah, um, the nearly 300 vineyards um, and we grow, I think, um, up to almost 40 cold climate grapes. So um, these are different grapes than what are growing or what you'd see in wines from California or, um, you know, European wines and whatnot. Um, these are grapes like Brianna and Edelweiss, which are maybe sound a little bit foreign, but um, they're really, really uh, delicious. They're producing really delicious wines. So it's really, really um, exciting for us to be able to um you know, keep producing local wines. Now, when you think about the the economic situation that a lot of growers are finding themselves in right now, specialty crops make a lot of sense. What are you seeing as far as growth on the specialty side of things, be it wine or, or other fruits and vegetables in Iowa? Sure. Um, you know, we, um, the, the wine industry itself has um, a $420 million economic impact. Um, it's, it's really tied to tourism. So, um, you know, we're bringing in over 350,000 wine related tourists per year, according to our most recent economic impact study. So, I mean, think about that. People are, are being exposed to the whole state because they're coming in, um, visiting wineries, uh, because a lot of groups and families and, you know, they'll, they'll hit, um, different wineries and even breweries, um, when they're traveling. So they're in visiting family and, They'll kind of, um, you know, look for that local flavor when they're when they're here. So yeah, we definitely have an impact on the state. Um, you know, I don't know how many people are out visiting cornfields, but I know the economic <laughs> impact is real for the row crop. Uh, but ours is definitely tied to tourism, for sure. So, Nicole, looking at the upcoming conference that we've got going on in January here in Ankeny, Iowa, what? was the mindset behind combining forces with the Iowa Fruit and Vegetable Grower Association and 
what can folks expect to get out of this conference if they are interested in attending? Yeah, so we, um, the Iowa Wine Growers Association um, and other small specialty producer groups, we've been meeting for nearly two years trying to put together plans for how this joint conference would look because, I mean, we've had uh, our own annual conference for nearly 20 years and it has been self-sustainable and um, we didn't do it for that reason. We thought um, if we joined forces, we could really have this large kind of one-stop shop where any type of specialty crop grower or producer could really receive um, excellent education and networking opportunities um, at one conference. So we've put together, I mean, an outstanding uh, list of speakers and so our 2020 uh, Iowa Specialty Producers Conference is taking place uh, at the SFA Enrichment Center in Ankeny. It's on Thursday and Friday, January 23rd and 24th. Um, in conjunction with this, we're hosting the Iowa Specialty Producers Award Banquet on Thursday evening. This is something that the IWGA has done for years, um, and we are um, including the Iowa Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association this year. And um, this event is a really, it's, it's a fun event. It's a time for people to kind of let loose and, and relax during the conference. It's open to the public. Tickets are on both of our websites. Uh, but it includes um, a so, Iowa Wine Social like Cocktail Hour in advance. Um, they get to kind of network and, and try different wines that are brought in from wineries across the state. Um, and then we have a formal dinner and we present awards to industry members that are nominated and voted on from internally. So it really is um, kind of a, um, an achievement to receive one of the awards that we're giving out during this event. We'll also have live music and um, kind of a social hour afterward too. So and that's taking place at the Courtyard Red Marriott in Ankeny um, as well. So we have a really no, it- outstanding – go ahead. I was going to say, it's great to both be able to drink and learn a little bit. So I just want to dig into a little bit more detail. Who do you have as speakers or as presenters at the conference? So our keynote speaker is John Stanley, and he'll be opening up the conference both days with um, sessions for our group. And then we have three breakout sessions per day uh, with seven speakers per each session. So we have a huge amount of content. For everything from grape growers and wine producers to hops and Christmas trees and um, nuts and berries. I mean, it's, it's insane how many different uh, topics that we have going on. Um, in addition to business and food safety and, and um, that type of thing as well. So, and marketing, of course, and agritourism. So there's, there's just a lot of content going on um, with speakers from within the state of Iowa, but also from, um, outside, you know, maybe in the Midwest or even just across the United States. Well, and Nicole, that leads me to my next question. Do you have to be from Iowa to attend the conference? And let's say that there are some people out there that are maybe looking at diversifying their operations and are looking at fruit and vegetables as one of the ways to do that. Does this conference have some material geared towards those people that are maybe looking at starting this type of process on their operation? Absolutely. The conference will cover um, content for everybody from, you know, those that are interested and haven't started up yet to those that are seasoned and have been, um, you know, working their 
their farm or crop for years. Um, you know, anybody can attend. It's open to the public. Uh, of course, Iowa Fruit and Vegetable Growers Association and Iowa Wine Growers Association members receive a bit of a discount on registration, but actually the registration price um, is very reasonable. Uh, we've been working with the Iowa Department of Ag and Land Stewardship on, um, they've provided some funding for this event to, to lower the price of the ticket. So it's very reasonable and it's, it's really open to anybody who um, would be interested in starting up to the seasoned professional too. So a little bit for everybody. And that's what you want to have. You want to have a, a buffet of educational opportunities. Nicole, one more time, though, can you tell us when and where the conference is just so we can keep it top of mind and get online right now and get registered? Sure. The 2020 Iowa Specialty Producers Conference is taking place at the FSA Enrichment Center in Ankeny, Iowa, on Thursday, January 23rd, and Friday, January 24th of 2020. Registration is online now. We have early bird registration going on, which is a bit cheaper. Um, and you can go to either the iowawinegrowers.org or ifvga.org and register at either of our sites um, and register now for the best rate. Nicole, you mentioned there that this is a reasonable rate for growers and producers, but a lot of times folks have to stay as well. Do you have places for these folks to stay during this two-day event? Absolutely. We have room blocks at two different area Ankeny hotels reserved with a reduced rate for attendees. Uh, they can call or check our websites to reserve online. They are the Hampton Inn and Suites in Ankeny and the Courtyard by Marriott in Ankeny. And the Courtyard by Marriott is also where we're hosting our awards bank banquet on Thursday evening. So it would be a really pleasant commute after the banquet to head on over to your back to your room after the um, banquet. So yeah, you can find that information on our website. All right, folks, we'll get signed up for that upcoming conference. If nothing else, it'll be an interesting way to learn about the potentials to diversify your operation coming up here in January 23rd through 24th of 2020. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing everybody at the 2020 conference. All right, folks, we'll get signed up for that upcoming conference. If nothing else, it'll be an interesting way to learn about the potentials to diversify your operation coming up here in January 23rd through 24th of 2020. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing everybody at the 2020 conference. Big thank you there again to Nicole. Really interesting conference. I'm kind of excited. I hope that I will be able to attend actually. I'm just interested in learning more about diversifying agricultural operations and I think they've got a good lineup of speakers. So, you know, it never hurts to consider some new avenues to try and make those balance sheets look a little prettier at the end of the year. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things we were talking about, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, with the the head of extension from Purdue came out and he said, you know, this looks a lot like the 1990s, where we're going to see producers find ways to earn additional income, be it off-farm work, be it specialty work on the farm, or other types of value-add ag, and, uh, you know, now's the time to start looking into it if you're having a tough time, uh, you know, keeping that uh, ink black on the balance sheet. 
Delaney, if our listeners want to catch up on past episodes where we have talked specialty crops with some growers, where should they go to do that? Well, Mike, you can always find our past episodes on agnewsdaily.com. It'll take you to our home at Global Ag Network, or you can always check us out on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify are the major three to find old episodes of the podcast on. You can also interact with us on social media. Send us your thoughts, questions, comments. Who do you like to hear as voices on future podcasts? At Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.